batten down your bloody hatches, internet, because it's getting a little bit chilly outside. It's time for the Real Boys Podcast. Bringing up the rear of the train, I'm Michael. Chugga-chugga-choo-choo, I'm Nelson. And welcome to our weekly rendition of Real Boys, Real Bad uh, Films, question mark. The show where we look at some of the shittiest and most shunted media from all the franchises you know and love, or may not know, and may not love. Moochle. Nelson. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really good, Nelson. I'm having a real good time. Mm, I'm having a good time too, because this week we're looking at the Bong Joon-ho directed film, Snowpiercer. We are, Nelson. Not to be confused with the 2020 ongoing series mm. executive produced by Bong Joon-ho. Ooh, also a little bit of crossover. <laughs> titled Snowpiercer, yeah. This mm. one had a fair few legs to actually get a series Ooh. a few years later now. Now, Michael, as I understand it, uh, as far as the spoilers go today, nobody needs to be worried because uh, I think the bloody TV series takes place in a different bloody dimension, doesn't it? It does, 100%. So you could ask a lot of questions. There's comparisons to be made that the TV series is earlier, uh, about seven years roughly after the event we're going to discuss. Yes. Um, and the movie is about 17 to 18 years, just on that cusp. Mm. How did that train get from a thousand carriages to about 60, you might ask yourself watching this movie? Mm. Don't worry, it's a completely different timeline. Different None of this overlaps, timeline. everybody. Thank you, Marvel, for opening up the multiverse, not only for your own universe, but for literally every rider on the planet. Ah, what an easy, easy crowd to work on. Excellent. Michael, real bad film, this one. Real piece of shit film. Fuck, it's bad. It's so shit. It's yeah, just I think bad. we can agree. Um, and I think that the box office and the uh, critical reception's reflective of that, Michael. Uh, how'd this one do? Yeah, so let's just run off some numbers. So, yeah. budget? Yeah. $40 million. Nice, Ooh. cool 40 mil. Box office return, we've got 86.8 million. So, arguably, it probably broke even if you consider the marketing budget. What? Maybe did all right. It broke even? Yeah. And if you look at the critical reception, you could argue that it has probably one of the best critical receptions that I've seen. What? Depending on your measure, you've got 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 84% on Metacritic. <sighs> so, yeah, I'd say arguably, real bad film. But, Michael, our format is so strong and consistent. How will we ever do? That's right. We're looking at a critical success and a uh, box office, I suppose, mild, mild middling success, success today. Yep. Um, but I think this one, a smaller film, uh, a little bit culty uh, in, its, uh, in its following. And I think this does kind of fit in our niche. Yeah, and I think if we really need to stretch as much as we can, Nelson, I think we can argue that the characters in this film Certainly had a real bad time, oh, question mark. So. Excellent. Yes, uh, they certainly do have a bad time in that film. Excellent. Tick the box. Uh, counts as a real fucking bad film. We did it. Shut up, audience, who we love, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Follow us on Instagram and give us five stars. On the actual podcast apps, not Instagram. You can't do that. No. You can't, but what you can do is come along with us on a journey to bloody talk about uh, the cast of this film, Michael. Uh, and I think, uh, contextually in the time, uh, these are some real big up-and-comers, if not some pre-established, uh, historically excellent actors. Run us through. Who are our title cast for the old Snow Dingus? 
<laughs> yeah, Perming Nelson. So you've got a good mix of both, actually. So mm. you've got Tilda Swinton, who's playing the role of Mason in this film. Mm-hmm. You've got John Hurt, who's playing the role of Gilliam, yes. the old crippled man in One this film. One of my favourite actors, John Hurt from the fame of 1984. And a little bit more subtly, the 1990s animated film A Monkey's Tale, Michael, which is one of my favourites. Very bad. Ooh, very interesting. Maybe that's one for the catalogue later on. And one of my favourite personal films, V for Vendetta. Um, Sadly, the late John Hurt. Yes, very dead, very old. And I think arguably at this time, 2013, just after the first Captain America film, but pre-Winter Soldier, we have our lead character, Chris Evans playing... Curtis. Oh, Mr. Chris Evans, Captain America himself, just come out of his formative role as Captain America. Everyone was like, uh, who's this guy? He's not going to be a fucking good Captain America. But uh, look, he was good. I feel like that's any title role playing, any ca- comic book character that people yeah. love. Those yeah. comic book fans are very diehard when it comes to Savage. any actor. Uh, but that's... For the most part, the title cast, certainly the big name actors in this one. I think we'll get to a couple of the others as we go along. Michael, uh, should I lay down the plot for everybody? Should I get this train moving, so to speak? (laughs) You better, Nelson, because I feel like a storm's starting to come in and we better get out quick smart. Oh dear, oh dear, it's as cold as ice. I'm willing to sacrifice my love to run you through this plot. Michael, the year is 2031. Are you going to kill me, Nelson? Future... Uh, maybe, yeah. Look, uh... Don't. Stab. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Real Boys. Real dead boys. You, yeah, the year is 2031, not 32 distant future. The world is slowly but surely dealing with the uh, consequences of climate change. Specifically, global warming is what we state here. But the government's got a solution. Mm. A little chemical called CW7. Oh, thank God. Yes, I love a three-lettered chemical to save the planet. Released into the atmosphere to cool down the Earth's temperature. Uh, Talk about too bloody effective. Hello, new ice age. Everyone's fucking dead. Oh, no. Oh, no. The human race is extinct, except there is one small hope for humankind. Mr. Wilford Wilfordson. I don't know what his actual name is. His last name is Wilford? His last name is definitely Wilford. Mm, real train fucking nerd. Spent all his time in the basement with his train sets, but guess what? He was a visionary. He created a train that can sustain itself. Within the confines of this train remains the remainder of the human population. At the back of the fucking train, you got your scroungers, your scragglers, the people real who boarded the train without permission, and they really are. They're the, uh, the paupers, really the lowest class. Moving all the way up to the front of the train where Mr. Wilford himself sits. On a high horse as the most affluent, uh, I guess, person on the train. Mmm, yeah. You would argue he would disagree. Mmm, potentially. But I think we'll get to that. Michael, that is our uh, essential plot. You've got the rich at the front, the poor at the back. There's going to be some bloody social issues there, right? Anytime the oppressed is oppressed, they want to get re-unoppressed and depress. Uh, Or or, or fix their depression, I suppose. Yeah, they want to depress. I think that's fair. They get stomped on a little bit too much by these Mm, guards. Decompress. They want to pull that apart. Ooh, yes, decompress. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. decondensation. But on the bloody walls of this bloody train, because so bloody cold outside. It's so cold. And I think that's a great description for exactly how this film sets up. It's um, Bong Joon-ho. He's all about commentary and the symbolic representation of societal elements. Absolutely. Um, 
This is a classic snobs versus slobs story. Yeah, yeah. Hottie versus the naughty, uh, to reference a Paris Hilton film. <laughs> Which I'm sure we'll be covering sometime soon on this podcast. Uh, listen out. Um, <laughs> I don't know what audience demographic that would capture, but listen out because that one's coming for you. It sure is. So at the start of the film, we have this setup clearly laid out in the first few scenes. You have mm. Chris Evans Curtis, who is a tailie, who is getting ready to lead a revolution with the aid of... Gilliam, John Hurt's mm, character. That's correct. Old Curtis uh, organising a coup with uh, the rest of the Coo-hoo! clan in the uh, the back carriages of the train. And I tell you what, Michael, gosh, Curtis just hates having two arms. He hates it. He's so ashamed of his oh, two arms. Yuck. Oh, so much to deal with. i got to think about two hands when I could just think about one. He's just really, really heavy on the fact that he is not happy about having every single one of his limbs. Now, I I know exactly what you're saying, audience. What the hell is Nelson talking about? Yeah. But in yeah. his defense, this is a core plot point which is referenced oh. the most at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilliam himself being the leader of the Tailies at this point. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. You notice that he's not quite a real boy because he <laughs> happens to <laughs> he happens to have quite a lot of limbs which have been clearly cut off somehow he's short one or two uh, one of his hands is now an umbrella handle yeah he's got a peg leg he's got his umbrella hook and he's uh just sitting at the back just in the laps of luxury as mm. the rags surround him and the filth just continues to progressively invade every single tailie with a, a horrible sickness that mm. they probably need to get away from as soon as possible, Absolutely, Nelson. absolutely, Michael. But the scene is set. It's time to coo-coo-coo-wee. Uh, every so often, the bloody Richies come to the back of the trainer, give them the good word of old mate Wilford. Uh, real... Um, Real culty feels, right? Like, uh, Wilford's put in a position of, a, I guess, a godlike figure, a Jesus Christ-type figure. Uh, his rhetoric's really pushed uh, on the rest of the train. He's yes. the hero, he's the saviour, the one who created the eternal engine, as they call it on the snow pierce of the train that never stops. It's been running for 17 years. Yeah, and I think this is the first glimpse that you have in the dichotomy between the Tailies, who are... They seem like a very normalised poorer population they're just normal people trying to do the best they can just try to make their way with good old elbow grace and some good old-fashioned american intuition yeah (laughs) ingenuity sorry uh but when they're introduced with the rest of the train which they're cut off from Mm. you're exactly right it's very clearly a cult they all clearly seem to have some kind of brainwashing they're very religious about the idea of wilfred and i think that's something interesting that the movie does get into how do you contain order in a population which is forced into one 60-carriage train Mm. for up to 20 years. Absolutely. How do you retain order, Michael? Uh, I've got a simple solution for that one. Uh, Close the train doors between the carriages. Pretty simple to do. Uh, But it's time. They've come along to take some children Michael, I believe, at this stage in the film. We see Mason, uh, Tilda Swinton's character, coming, does a bit of a rhetoric about the old Wilford, and then they start measuring children. Yeah, uh, this is actually, just before we see Mason's character, there's mm-hmm. actually a, a barely named character who comes in a yellow coat who starts measuring the children, who yes. we find out later is Wilford's assistant. Ah. And you're exactly right. Starts measuring children, finds the right children, mm-hmm. and starts taking them away. Mm. Which, one thing I found interesting is these tailies 
they don't like this, Nelson. They get pretty angry pretty quick. They sure do, Michael, but only after a very specific sequence of events. Ooh, break it down. So, what we see is a large crowd of children at the front of the cart. They measure up all the children, looking for the one who's presumably the right size for whatever they need them for. They do this pretty regularly, I believe, Michael. Now, for the most part, everyone in the, the tailies, they're pretty calm, right? As they're, as, they're, mm. as they're looking through the different kids. But then we see uh, Octavia Spencer, who plays a character, I believe, Tanya, in this film. They walk yes. over to her and lift her dress. We know that she has a son, young son named Timmy. Timmy's not under the dress, mm. right? They've hidden Timmy, but uh, those old fronties, uh, as I'm going to call them, Michael, they're a, they're, a little, uh, they're a little bit more clever than that. They keep looking and they find Timmy. Timmy's the perfect size and they go to grab him. Now, Michael, Nelson. the rest of the cart helps hide Timmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's only when they try and take Timmy... That mm. all of the tailies go absolutely troppo and start attacking and trying to stop them. All of them. They're all really upset about it. Yes. How would you fucking feel as one of the kids at the front who've just been left? Like, it's like, okay, well, we know who the favourite is. You know what? Take me. I don't care. <laughs> I'm better off without you guys. If your priority is just this one kid, what about us? That's got to be just heartbreaking Heart for the wrenching. kids. Why is that kid more important? I think you raise a good point. I've asked this several times. I think watching this movie, I probably did figure out that the Tailies probably know that there's very specific kids who are going to be taken. Because as you said, uh, they seem very used to this game. Picked and up a pattern. A hundred percent. So my guess is they know that the kids who have been put up the front previously are unlikely to be taken. So Timmy is the one that they need to hide and save. Mm. Except for the fact that completely disproven because some other guy's kid does get taken immediately yeah. who's put up the front yeah. and he immediately responds by aggressively throwing a shoe at the lovely yellow jacketed lady who yes. will remain unnamed. Yes. Uh, yeah, I like to think that Timmy's just the back carriage's favourite. Um, but yeah, um, old mate throws a shoe and uh, look, uh, they do take issue with uh, that. Um, mm. Would you wear a shoe on your head? Of course you wouldn't wear a shoe on your head. A shoe doesn't belong on your head. A shoe belongs on your foot. Big speech from Tilda Swinton's very, very kooky and weird character. Uh, she's got fake teeth in uh, just really protruding out that top lip. Uh, but they take old mate, they put his arm out the train, they uh, leave him out there for a while, bring him back in. Oh, guess what? That body arm is frozen. It's uninhabitable outside, Michael. It's so cold it will freeze anything. In just about seven minutes? In just about seven minutes. And down comes the hammer of Thor as they shatter his arm into a million pieces. Goodbye. Yes. And this is by far the inciting event. Mm. Now that they realize exactly what started to happen, mm. the tailies are done. Mm. This is one dismemberment too many. Yeah, Nelson. right. Although Chris uh, Chris Evans' that character, Curtis, is looking at that uh, whole situation, just drooling, just thinking about, oh, he wishes that could be him. Get rid of that bloody arm. God, it'll be so easy. Just freeze it and smash it. Don't worry, Chris. Your time may come, baby. It may come, buddy. It may come. That's enough. They've had enough. You're absolutely right, Michael. It's time for a coup. The fight is on. Yes. Yes, Nelson. So, they have been patiently waiting because mm. there is a man on the inside of the front of that train who has been squealing yeah. away these little red scrolls Ooh. in the capsules of the food that they have been provided. S little disgusting protein blockers. Yes, big gooey, sludgy goo blocks of brown and black. Yes. So luckily, just before this inciting event, mm. they got the one last message they think they need to know. A lead Ooh. to tell them 
who can help them finally get from the tail all the way to the front of the train to finally show Wilford exactly how they feel about them, Nelson? Oh, and who may that be, Mookle? That is a security architect who Mm. helped build all of the locks in the train, who is three carriages up in the prison cells. Yes. The Mr. Nemgung Minsu himself. Yes. Who we will call Nam to make sure that we will never accidentally mispronounce his name again, played by the lovely Song Kang-ho yes. in this film, Nelson. Turns out an excellent performance in this film. Doesn't speak a lick of English. He uh, is a fully fully uh, Korean uh, in this film. Speaks uh, mm. in Korean the whole film. But they do uh, have a little nice moment here when they uh, unlock what's essentially a you know one of those drawers where they put dead people, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, this is where they put prisoners. This is yeah. actually expanded upon more in the TV show. Ah. They have developed the technology to essentially cryo-freeze people when they need. And they do this right. to prisoners. Right. I was going to say, because he's locked in there, and I was like, how long has he been in there? How's he yeah, eating? He's fine. How's he? Yeah, he's like, this guy's, he's got it made. I don't know what he's been eating, but it's uh, it's, 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 it's working. Um, mm. But I know what he's been sniffing, mate. Bloody chronal human waste that's also flammable and gets you fucking high. Ooh, I can see the fairies. I can see the poo fairies. Uh, good stuff. The strongest drug on the train. Well, I love that image of the idea that this is what everyone's huffing in this train. It is, in fact, industrial waste, Nelson. Oh. So a little bit less related okay, in the fecal okay, matter of okay, the okay, trains, okay, but okay. that would have been a commentary on society, wouldn't it? Nelson? Yeah, I thought it was like related to like the methane, right? Uh, and people love huffing the smell of their own shit. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you would have got that. A, you would have got that idea by now about oh, us. It's good. It's good. But that's right, Michael. Uh, saved from his small prison cell, speaking in Korean. They do have little uh, electronic translators that they speak into. We're introduced um, as it translates between the two of Curtis and Nam. Uh, but they do the fact that they just don't give a shit about this translator because they take too long and they just give up immediately. That's correct. They do phase it. I think they do it well. They they start with it translating for them and then slowly they they cut it shorter and shorter and then you've just got yeah. the, the the Korean and English um, dialogue and then occasionally you will see them holding it and they'll, they'll reference back to it so it's one of those things where I think it would have just taken too much time and they're like let's establish what the rules are so we know how they're communicating and then we can kind of push it to the background flash it up here and there Yes, exactly, and that is a clear choice made to make sure that the dialogue flows through very effectively. Yes. My favourite thing is there's an end scene where there's two large monologues expressed by both characters, mm. clearly not touching those things at all, but somehow mm-hmm. having a back-and-forth conversation is very deep and meaningful. Yes. But the first suspension of disbelief letting you know that Bong Joon-ho at this point is more intent on explaining the dichotomy and the symbolism behind these Correct, situations. Correct, the subcontext. Straight up, the actual real practical sense. So, it's letting you know straight off the bat, mm-hmm. don't expect this to be a perfect one-to-one of what this situation would be. I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah. I've only got I've only got 127 minutes of this movie. Short also. movie, yeah. I don't have time for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I like a short contained uh, story as well as this one Yeah, is. Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. And... I think that you've you've brought us up to the inciting incident. There's not that much plot after this. No, um, um, we meet Nam's daughter, Yuna, 17 years old, also a chronal addict. Uh, she comes mm. along and she's a little, uh, little clairvoyant. She's got a little bit of psychic abilities, yeah. we think. She seems to know what's on the other side of every single train carriage door. Yeah, and I think that's something that will develop the plot quite a lot mm-hmm. and really push the pace along, which I think is exciting. Yes. One thing, we've got to the point where they've accessed the security consultant who's going to help them to get all the way to the front. 
what we did actually scoot over in that, Nelson, is there is actually a pretty aggressive inciting incident that does start off quite effectively and tie into Nelson. Our first death in this film, Nelson, which will bring us to... That's right, it's time for a chilly, chilly death count! You're as cold as ice! Death You're willing to sacrifice! Death count! That's right, it's time for Death Count. The segment where me and Michael count how many things, people and animals died in the things that we're watching. Michael, if you're not bloody careful, I'm going to start calling you bloody Britney Spears because, oops, you did it again. There's oh, so did. many deaths in this film, man. So many. Oh my God, yeah. I feel like I've developed some kind of toxic relationship with myself, so yeah. maybe Britney Spears is my name, good buddy. Oh, buddy, buddy, buddy. Thank God that she's in a better place, Nelson. Now, you are correct, Nelson. There's no way, again, to effectively count the numerous deaths that happened in this film. Hundreds seems to be the best it's definition. It's a podcast in and of itself, Merkel. Definitely, and I think maybe a YouTube video we can break this down one day and get a final quota, but I've actually got a little bit of a trick up my sleeve, Nelson. Ooh, a little sneaky snow trick, hey? Mm. A little snowflake on my nose. Ooh, it's cold. I like it. Ooh, it feels nice. Ooh, is this snow melting? Maybe we'll talk about that later, audience. Mm, but for now, what I noticed is this film starts, if you think about the intro narrative, this film technically starts prior to this horrible global event existing. Sure in- does, through a series of news reports and news reads. Yes, indeed. And it clearly places the start of this event at 2014. Now, what I've done, Nelson, is I've considered that from that news event up until now, a good 17 years later at this point in the film, Nelson, there was a population of 7.2 billion humans in the Earth in 2014. Quite big and quite a big death count, Nelson, because the death count of this film, my friend, (laughs) is technically about (laughs) 7.2 billion humans, my buddy boy. Yeah, well done, Moogle. One big (laughs) rounded death count, the entire population of the planet. That is a sweet earth, you might say. Wrong. Sands, I looked this up um, and I don't know how accurate this is. Sands, maybe 207 people on this train. No way that's true. After watching the movie, there's about a hundred people with axes later in this film. Oh, yeah. In like one, one cut. cut alone. <laughs> so there's no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Michael. Well, look, let's compromise here. We've got 7.2 billion deaths uh, time of yes, recording. Yes, um, uh, Maybe we should just note on some, some of the notable deaths? Yeah, we're not going to leave you high and dry, audience. Let's have a little bit of fun with this still. There's some very interesting scenes, some really exciting action sequences that do end up in quite a lot of deaths. Nelson, so run down down some of the mono ones. So, first off, the one that we did actually skip. Yeah. In order for our intrepid tailies to make their way to the lovely Nam himself, they actually had to get through a few guards who it seemed like they're actually trying to avoid as many deaths as possible Mm -hmm. in this, and they knock most of them out. However, this one seven foot guard, huge, just huge, carrying what seems to be a 30 kilogram weight. Swings around a kettlebell straight into the face of a tailie. Boom, Nelson. That is our first notable death in this film. Blunt force trauma from a hundred meters away. You're dead. You're dead. 
It looks like everything may be lost for the Tailies before their revolution even begins. This guy seems unstoppable, He's Nelson. A big boy. He's a big boy. However, luckily, our mute MVP, Grey, Oh, he's himself. my favourite. The quiet little man who can kill like he can. Uh, Grey, yes. Yes. The perfect trope just immediately sprints in, parkles around the side of the carriages, manages to get behind the security guard on his shoulders yeah. and just plunges a knife deep into that throat and in one swift pull, finishes off. Our second death... The security guard, who is way too big. Mm, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, Mookle, and he fell uh, to his death. Straight to his death. Now, the intrepid Tailies. Mm, back at trainers themselves. They make their way across, and everything seems pretty relaxed. Mm. We have Nam's daughter, Yona. Mm. Her powers are really helping out. They haven't figured it out, but she's explaining every single thing that's happening in this train as they open the doors to find what's behind the next door. Yes, one of the more capable of the group, particularly, well, at least on the train with her clairvoyance. Uh, and really, really well played by... Uh, Koasan. Koasan. Um, very, very well done. Yes, excellent. Most certainly. Unfortunately, Yona is also a massive chronal head. Super drug addict. And right when it matters, she is high off her kite, barely paying attention to anything... Just at the last minute where she could have potentially saved them from an absolute disaster, she says, lock the door! Don't open that door! As the door's opening to discover that there are at least a hundred crazed balaclava-laden men with axes waiting for them, getting ready to... Very tear them apart very intimidating and um some of them are wearing balaclavas with no eye holes and just mouth holes some are wearing yes. eye holes no mouth holes don't worry about that um their first uh, intimidation tactic is just to really get very very physical with a fish and some hacksaws they're just passing a fish Weird around symbology yeah dipping it into a fish i guess is an intimidation tactic and this scene is probably one of my favorite scenes of the film so we'll have to talk about the scene yeah. blow by blow but the important thing is this is where I gave up on the death count because yeah. anywhere from 50 to 200 people died in the scene because oh it's absolute gosh. pandemonium. Slaughterfest. Just absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare, Nelson. Absolute carnage. And probably the biggest of their struggles is the mm. death counts don't get nearly as big as this. A couple of final notable ones that I think are really exciting. If you've got a crazy pregnant teacher with a submachine gun who gets knifed mm. to the neck in this movie... <laughs> It's okay. She was she was a jerk. She was a bad person. I know it's awful, but it, she was ah, a bad just person. like a passive aggressive bad person yeah. too. So baby, you know the type. The baby probably would have been a jerk as well. <laughs> <laughs> and the last scene, which I think we could probably unpack, which I love. There's a scene in a sauna carriage, which Ooh. good for them. Yeah. Kind of luxury in a sauna carriage. Absolutely. We really have got their priorities in the right place. Oh, they do. We have one front section that just shut randomly. One guard killed for questioning someone's mistake to shoot this person. Yeah, what a fool. A second guard gets taken out by Tailies. Yeah. And sadly, one of the saddest deaths in this film, uh, our lovely mother Tanya, gets killed trying to save our baby boy Curtis from yes. the homicidal twin. Just doing a rampage, Nelson, on this train. Yeah, a couple of homicidal twins, you're right. Uh, hit men for hire from the front of the carriage. They are big players as Curtis and co. All the tailies work their way through the carriage. Mm. Uh, real insane uh, hit men murderers. Um, very, very terrifying presence. Yeah, very good, very good tone about them. And, um, yeah, and that's okay. pretty much it. Yeah. That's pretty much all the notable deaths. And I think nice. I really love this film in the way that it is 
a combination of a really intense human drama. Yes. Intense themes surrounding those, as well as yeah. every third carriage. Some fucking sick action and some yep. really crazy deaths. Lots of blood. But if I could just talk about uh, one scene from that death count quickly. Mm. Uh, Bong Joon-ho uh, got a very specific style. A um, lot of seriousness, a mm. lot of commentary, but there's always these little quirky breaks, you know? Yes. Really, really odd shifts uh, in uh, in tone, I guess, and very suddenly. Yep. Uh, when they're in the uh, carriage and fighting all the guys with the hand axes, uh, they pass over a bridge. We see a conductor right at the back of the train behind all of the warring factions going mm. we're passing up to the bridge everyone stops fighting and celebrates the new year yeah um and uh one of my favorite lines from a character we haven't mentioned just yet curtis's right hand man edgar, edgar played by jamie bell uh from tintin fame of uh, course from tintin fame really great moment as they're all pausing to celebrate the new year um every mm. time they pass the bridge it's the new year he goes i hate getting old i really do i really hate getting old yes uh, middle of a war now Obviously, a bit of a tonal shift, but I just want to kind of um, bring this back to real history, right? Um, and specifically some Real Australian, boys, real learning. Yeah, real boys, real history, real learning. Real bloody Anzac stories. Um, this is very reminiscent of Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Yes, correct. <laughs> real boys are Gallipoli. It's, it's been a while since I've done my grade two Australian history. Watching too much Auntie Donna is yeah, the problem. Gallipoli. <laughs> um, uh, but there was a ceasefire on Christmas Day uh, in the trenches in Gallipoli. Um, all of the soldiers went up to no man's land and celebrated Christmas together. So this is very reminiscent of what does occasionally happen in the heat of battle. Um, you've got to find moments to celebrate. You've got to find moments of joy, even in the most dark and horrendous of situations. Mm, I love that. I love that that groundedness because I think you're right. There are such interesting human behaviours that can occur in yeah. times of trauma and stress like this and the small joys that you can find. I feel like in this, it also explains a little bit more about the dynamics of Wilford's world and what he has turned these train passengers into because yes. these homicidal monsters, as you said, symbolically carving up fish in a way that I've never understood at the Ooh, start of this. Too horny. <laughs> too horny, Nelson. Mm, what are you doing on that fish? Yeah. <laughs> we don't have that food to waste, gentlemen. Yes, and I literally wondered if it was literally this is your first look at real food in 17 years and we don't give a shit. I wonder if oh, that was as simple as the message. that's not bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. But just the tonal shift wasn't in the tailies. No. The tailies were as confused as the audience. Yes. Because it was directly in these cult-like monsters who immediately shifted and almost in a regimented way celebrated this in front of the tailies, leaving them bewildered. Yeah. Just an absolute, this is by the books, this is what you are. And I loved... Even the, the facial expressions when they were celebrating were fucked. My favourite is an interaction between Curtis mm. and one of the eyeless um, yeah, yeah, yeah. axes. Just the creepiest, most disingenuous, but also hopeful grin. <laughs> the twisted a smile right before the lull is finished and Curtis just shrugs and stabs him immediately yeah. after. Axe to the skull. See you later. This train is fucked and uh, the people in it are fucked Nelson. speaking of getting fucked michael i think it's time we leave the fish alone nelson we don't need to, to explore it anymore our sponsor michael. oh we're almost done we're on the home stretch mate I, two um, more baby i am heavily in debt um as you've mentioned michael um i am now responsible for paying for both the holes in my walls yeah by um, so i i had this um <sighs> 
it's it's part of the contract I didn't realize. We can't actually talk about any negative consequences of crunchy stew um, verbally on the podcast. So mm-hmm. maybe just wrap this up. Um, we've got a certain time frame. I'll try to keep you on board. But okay. um, let's just maybe let's move on to the, the, the beautiful sponsor. Do you feel comfortable to introduce it this time around, buddy? Can I not even talk about the VPN situation? Let's get to the segment and then maybe we'll discuss it after the episode. We'll sort you out. <sighs> okay, everyone. We'll be right back with Real Boys, Real Bad Films question mark you know they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks but you can turn it into meat And a big thank you to Crunchy Stew of Crunchy Stew's Crunchy Online Soup Shop. Mm. Um, I don't know about you, Michael, but I know where I'll be getting my digital soup tonight. Yeah, I, I love it. Streamline the process. Crunchy Stew's um, really kicking his game into gear. I'm... How do you eat something online? I think he's shipping it out. Isn't the storefront online? He said he said you can eat all your favorite soups online. Oh, it's probably NFTs. Oh, it might be NFTs. <laughs> oh, just just when we thought we were out of the bloody dodgy water. Yeah. Gosh, oh. Crunchy Stew. Sorry, I'm trying to be a supportive partner. But yep, you know, hey. We'll see how it works out. Mm, hopefully it works out that we don't have to talk to him anymore after episode 13, Michael. Fingers crossed. But I think that's quite enough talking about Crunchy Stew, Michael. Uh, two more episodes to go of this. I'm ready to be done, as I'm sure our poor bloody audience's ears are. That guy really doesn't know how to fucking <laughs> audio level. Jesus. One of these days, hey? Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully not, is what I'm saying, Michael. But, Michael, we left our audience off. We were talking a little bit about the ceasefire. Uh, Look, Mm. between uh, then and uh, where we're about to get to now, a lot of killing, a lot of moving through, different train carts, seeing different scenes, different kooky environments, and how the uh, functions of the train uh, function from uh, class to class and tram to tram. Um, But, uh, Mm. Michael, where are we at? Yeah, so we've given the audience everything they need to know about this movie. Mm. We've... Set up exactly why Curtis is desperately trying to get to the front of the train to Mm. let Wilford know how he feels about his little world. Yes, time for some change on this train. Time to change this train. Mm. And we've also had a look, as you said, 
into the carnage that he's going to leave in his wake mm-hmm. in this gory, violent film. It's beautiful Yeesh. stuff. Yeesh. So I think now it's time to really explore Curtis's character journey throughout this film because it really is as simple as setting up the world to let us see it through Curtis's journey. And mm-hmm. he is the pivotal character and the pivotal representation that Bong Joon-ho wanted to explore these concepts with very clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing that you notice about Curtis Nelson is... Yep. Everyone seems to clearly think that he is the leader of the Taylors. Yeah. And he just refuses to take this responsibility, Nelson. He's so begrudging. And yes. uh, Michael, I'm a firm believer that actions speak louder than words. And this Tell dude about it. got the friggin' actions of a leader. He has... Yeah. He's literally organised the whole coup. He's the only one at the start of the film when the frontiers come to see the Tailies who yep. stands in defiance. Those are the actions of a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's organised the coup, as I've mentioned. Yeah. He rallies the troop. He stands at the front line. He leads from the front. Yes, horribly uh, violent film. He's always the first person yeah. swinging at anyone who comes to combat them. 100%. Yeah. But is he the leader, Michael? If you ask Curtis... Oh no, it's Gilliam. Yeah, Surely it's Gilliam's Gilliam. Yeah, it's the old man with old stumpy two... claw hair. Yeah, <laughs> see, see, you see, Curtis has uh, he, he's he's missing something, right? Or, or he's got too accurately. many things. Perhaps. Exactly, it's something that he's not missing. See, Gilliam, he's only got two limbs. And uh, Curtis has four. Oh, there's too uh, many limbs. What a little baby! Little baby, and I think poor unfortunate buddy, four-limbed yeah. Curtis. How dare! And I think, to be honest, like. It's very frustrating because he's got so yeah. many elements of this. He doesn't like being the leader. No. He's got this weird relationship with Edgar, who we have not mentioned nearly enough, yeah. but we will not mention him anymore anyway. A little gemable. Yeah. He's looking up to um he's looking up to Curtis. He oh, loves him to death. Curtis, oh, you're my favorite, you're my dad. Curtis wants none of that. He's like, No, I'm not who you think I am, and it's just so infuriating to watch this. And I think yep. this may be hampered by the fact that it is a movie and it can't explore things as much Absolutely. as a series can. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the movie, we get this monologue of exposition dump. Yeah, we that, sure do. To be fair, is very good at explaining almost enough of his character motivations and why he is so resistant to being this leader type and this figure to everyone because he hates himself. And as mm. he sups on the final cigarette of the entire world. Yep, the last one before extinction mm. of cigarettes which, you know, is probably a good thing all in all. Yes, but for any smoker, what a tense moment. Probably the most tense scene in the entirety of the movie. Absolutely. Nem generously gives him his last cigarette Yep, and he so smokes it gently as he tells you exactly why he is not the guy who's going to lead yeah, these Taylors, Nelson. You want to take it away and tell us what is Curtis's main backstory that really brought him to this place he is now? Absolutely. We're coming into the end of the film, so if you were thinking of watching this one, uh, pause it here, go oh, back and you. watch it, and then come on back in, because we are going into uh, endgame spoiler territory here. But Michael, you're absolutely right. Takes the cigarette, and then he bursts into a monologue of exposition. Um, bloody takes two puffs of the cigarette, and then just sits and lets it burn. Nam's looking mm. at him, gritting his teeth, just like, stop fucking wasting it, dude. <laughs> like, what... what what happened to Puff Puff Pass? Come honey? on, buddy. Yeah. I gave you that. I know the conventions of humanity went out the window, but you could at least be a little bit appreciative of my last cigarette, please. Yeah, he genuinely takes maybe two puffs and lets the whole thing burn out as yeah. he explains his story. Yeah. To be fair, Nelson, I, I, I think this actually explains how good this movie is. Yeah. Because 
In this exposition dump, Curtis explains his entire grim story as a tailee. He sure does. To break down the most important plot points, the heart-wrenching bits, Nelson. Oh, my heart. He basically explains that when the tailees first came, they didn't have their protein blocks, their nice food supply, which is disgusting, Correct. but sustains them. And they all became cannibals. Yeah, they were stowaways. They weren't supplied for and started eating uh. each other. Curtis? Being yeah. the worst cannibal. Oh. Eating babies, eating mothers yeah. as much as he can. Curtis tells us that he hates that he knows that babies taste the best. And he also lets us know this one final bombshell. You. Heart-wrenchingly. Oh. He is the reason Edgar never knew his mum because he killed an et her, Nelson. Well, he didn't et her. Surely he et her. She's dead. He's going to eat it. Sure yeah. you're going to be upset? Yeah. I know he's sad that he did yeah. it and he didn't kill yeah. Edgar the baby. Yeah. Everyone in that train still ate that mum's corpse. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they didn't kill Edgar. They were about to. They were about to munch down on that delicious baby mm, meat. Nom, 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 nom. The other other oh, white meat. Yeah. Oh, yuck. Oh, oh little bumps. Um, uh, they, uh, they don't eat it because Gilliam uh, comes out of nowhere, cuts his own mm. arm off, and Bloody goes, here, I have a bloody arm. And that's why Curtis is so resentful, because Gilliam was kind enough to give up his own arm, which inspired a generation of arm and limb givers who donated up their limbs until old bloody Wilford came in to literally save them from themselves, in my opinion, and supply them with protein bars, which, spoiler alert, we find out are bloody made of cockroaches. Ooey gooey, ooh, they're so shocked Yucka. and upset. Yeah. But also, probably... People eat cockroaches now. I think, theoretically, bugs are the, the most sustainable future source of food, right? And protein. Yeah, like, arguably, they're saying that's where we should go and as fuck, dude, the human race. To be honest, they're like, oh, the protein bars are so bad. Um, but, dude, Chris Evans looks like a healthy dude. Like, yeah. And honestly, you give me a block of sludge that gives me all of my nutritional needs... That's a fucking dream for me, Michael. I could just work away, mm. numbing on my goo, num, 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 num. And then like occasionally when I feel like I want a treat, I'll go out to a restaurant. Yeah. That sounds perfect. Yeah, I agree. And I think clearly they're not tasty. I would have some problems with it, but I think it is a really good point because I agree that Wilford was put in a really weird situation, you think, at this point in the movie. Yeah. Where... He didn't invite these tailies on. No. They're freeloaders, essentially. <laughs> sure are. Bloody pay your rent, guys. Come on. Yes. And I think it's very fair that he ingeniously created a solution that does allow people he didn't expect yeah. to stay alive. So what if it's cockroaches? Yeah. There wasn't enough food for them to stay. Beggars cannot be choosers. And if they weren't on this bloody train, they'd be dead. So I guess what? You're eating cockroaches, kids. Um, but yeah. th the dichotomy is obviously there is other fresh food supply on the train, as we see that the uh, yes. front loaders uh, chow down on and some of the tailies get to experience as well. Um, I assume after 17 years of only eating protein goo, that would probably do something bad to your stomach, eating fully processed food. But let's uh, move right uh Long. Yeah, I agree. Let's move along. Yeah. So I think this is a really great moment. <laughs> I know what you say about the cigarette. I feel like that probably would have been so frustrating to watch as someone yeah. who is a smoker. Well, only because Nam's a smoker, right? Like, yes. that dude's got a tobacco addiction. I could only imagine that sitting there and watching your last hit of tobacco, your last hit of nicotine getting dr just wasted away, not even drawn away by somebody else, would be a little frustrating. But I think, for me, this is why Bong Joon-ho is a really great filmmaker. Because yes. in my mind, that's symbolic of how enrapturing the story and the exposition was mm. and the fact that he has something that's covered it because it seems that 
Chris Evans's character Curtis also is a smoker because he immediately loves the idea of smoking that cigarette. Not a single cough. It's been 17 years since <laughs> he's had a cigarette, but his lungs are just designed he's red, he's for prime. that kind of yeah. dirt. Yeah, that's right. He's call him a bloody bitumen because he's filled with tar. <laughs> just, yeah, he's yeah. ready for it. He's prime. Uh, but I think that 100%, the fact that two smokers are so caught by the fact that this story is so horrible and so heartfelt mm. they don't even care about something as important as the last cigarette in the world and i no. think that's an amazing symbology priorities are a little bit larger than that so we understand why curtis is so uh, resentful of the title of leadership and we also understand why he wants to lose one of his arms because he was never ever brave enough to give up one mm. of his limbs to feed the rest of the people of the back of the train yes and i think that this is where there are some frustrations with this character arc and the way oh, yeah. he goes about it um, it eventually gets to the point where he does manage to get invited by Wilford into yeah. the engine, Nelson. Yeah, come on in. And this is where the whole plot culminates. And I don't think we can do it justice, which is why you have to watch this movie, I promise yes. you. Because at the end of the day, it turns out this entire film was not set off by the insurgency of the Taylors. Mm -hmm. But it was always a predetermined plan yeah. by Wilford to keep his level of control over the train by using the right combination of fear, terror, anger, and also population control by allowing for these types of massacres and riots to occur from That's time to time. That's correct. We found out through this film about a couple of other coups that have taken place. The Siege of the Seven being the most famous, which we do see when they're in the classroom mm. before they shoot the teacher after she, or stab the teacher after she tries to shoot them. Yep. Uh, we see the Seven, the Siege of the Seven, the Seven who tried to escape, frozen in ice. One of them was an Inuit woman who did have experience in the snow, but it wasn't enough. They froze in place, immortalized forever that they passed once a year yeah mm. and all planned by wilford yeah all planned wilford is an absolute sociopath nelson oh yeah and his plans don't make sense i think we need to pull this apart to be honest because he set this all up yeah it all fell apart yeah and then he just completely derangedly says also mm -hmm. i want you to kill me and take over from me because i'm pretty old and i'm done yeah. and it's so weird because chris evans has a lot of trouble with this but he starts to want to do it yeah he sure does till the final reveal it turns out, thanks to Yuna's lovely clairvoyant powers... Yeah, she starts clawing at the ground. It's like, what's going on? Why is she, why is she clawing at the ground? Turns out the eternal engine ain't so eternal. It's actually very temporary, and parts have been going extinct over the last 18 years. They can't be replaced. Well, how is this engine still bloody running, Michael? It's got to be powered on something. It's powered on little babies, Nelson. That's the kids right. right from the start, they were actually taken, specifically because they were the right size and mm -hmm. age, to replace metal parts they're stuck up grimy as all hell yep. turned into zombies Just somehow zombie kids yeah Just right. cramming their hands deep into these clockwork gears nelson it's yes. disgusting and i feel like it's just the most disgusting thing which is a yep. perfect point to finally bring chris evans as curtis out of his reverie at this point to say you know what fuck this yeah this is pretty gross Let's burn the entire train and he gets his beautifully foreshadowed redemption by cramming that arm yes. into that gear. Little Timmy's down a hole pulling out some black <laughs> goo from the train gears. He sees Andy who was one of the other kids but that kid's a fucking zombie. He crawls up into yeah. a hole and just disappears. There's no hope, no saving him. No. Um, but uh, he pulls out little Timmy. Uh, Timmy runs over to Yuna and then we have a snap 
crackle, pop, off goes bloody Chris Evans's arm. Curtis has got his wish. He's only got three limbs now. He did it. He sacrificed Woo! for the greater good. Except Michael. Oh. He's got about 30 seconds between the time that he pulls Timmy out. Yep. And his hand gets snapped off. He, well, maybe not 30 seconds, 10 seconds, but he lets it happen. Oh, he had time to maybe it. hold it with the other hand, the gear with the other hand, and then yank his other hand out. He he was determined. Like, he wanted that so bad. Which, <laughs> again, due to what's about to happen and what their plan is, because Nam has been like, look, dude, don't worry about running the train. Yeah. It, I've noticed that it's been getting less cold and I see this plane every single year and it's getting less and less covered. Yeah. Let's just go fucking outside. I reckon outside's fine. Yeah, outside's fine. So that then, after they see the kids, really becomes the end goal. Uh, survival skills out the window. It's more about making that poetic point for him and yeah. just getting rid of an arm. Don't worry about the survival <laughs> when you get out of this train with no human society and no resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, he's, he's earned his badge of honour. Yeah, hasn't he just? But... Fair enough. He also caused the entire destruction of the train. Yes, correct. So in that moment, Nam has uh, compiled some chronal. They've, he's been fighting people one by one from a club who have just gone insane just and just trying to kill him. He's knocking them into into cogs in the in the train down the side of this bridge, and they're just getting crushed. Grind. Yes, he he gets a bunch of chronal. As you remember, it's also flammable. He's made a brick of it, puts he's a wick in it. Not just a druggie, Nelson. It was. An ingenious plan all along. Yeah, damn right. Yuna gets the last match from. He sure Curtis. loves those drugs, though. Oh my god, yeah. He was high the whole crack. time. I'd, I'd give Cronal a crack. Why not? Um, it sounds great. Sniff those puppies. Cronal now with seventy-five hundred percent less feces. Yes, industrial waste now, Michael. Um, they've cleaned up their act. Yum yum yum. Uh, by making it dirtier than ever. But the Cronal's <laughs> been built into a brick. The brick is lit with its little wig and. Explodey, explodey. Nam tries to close the door to the front compartment, but he can't. There's not enough time. Boom goes the dynamite. The bloody train rittles, rattles, derails. They cause an avalanche. Chaos ensues. Carts are tumbling, exploding. And it seems like everyone is all but dead Mookle the human race the surely human populace, especially those two kids that are with the front of the explosion you imagine they're the deadest right but you're wrong because just before what? the explosion Nam and Curtis gave them a hug of life yes their corpses were enough to protect them from the explosion and the I don't know 3,000 metre fall down <laughs> yeah. an avalanche and cliff while well, they got thrown around a train carriage and you don't and see those corpses so I trauma. assume they're disintegrating <laughs> yeah you don't see anybody else but from the wreckage emerges Yuna and our young Timmy uh, in his cutest little fur coat ever. Yeah, when they get that coat, it's beautiful. When they get it, yeah, he wasn't there before, but it's so cute. He looks so cute. And uh, no one left. They look up to the top of an icy mountain and they see a polar bear. Goong. Credits. Michael, there's still hope for humanity. Yeah. It seems like that global warming has global cooled and then global warmed a little bit enough. Seems like Curtis really made the right decision in the end. The whole of the human population is dead except for a 17-year-old girl and a 5-year-old boy. 
Beautiful. Yeah. I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm the sure innocents they'll be fine. should survive, Nelson. Yeah, and, and, and they've definitely they're definitely equipped for this experience as well. Because as we find out, you know, seventeen years old, Timmy under five, these are both train babies, Michael. Never seen the world. They've never seen the world. They were both born on the train. So all of their survival skills are dependent on being in a train and in the confines of a train. The second yeah. they're outside of that train, they're fucked. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, 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 psychic powers might tell you what's behind another door, um, mm. which is great when there's a Actually, door to be in honest, the way. It might do a lot. Maybe they're not as fucked as I thought. I forgot you, about the psychic think, powers. Yeah, you forgot about that? Well, yeah. m- Michael, you might be able to see a barley polar bear coming, but when there's not a door in the way, you can't outrun a fucking polar bear, <laughs> Michael. Clairvoyance is only going to take you so far. Are you insinuating that clairvoyance is only door to bear? <laughs> I, thi- I like, think that's the value. I just think it's more helpful when there's a block there so you can take the time to sure. just assess on what's what's on the other side. Maybe the second a, a bear on... that runs like 45 k's an hour is coming yeah. at you, you're cooked. It's like, oh, I can... There's a bear coming. We better mm. run. It doesn't matter. He's, he's going to get you. They're maybe, done. Maybe the clairvoyance is based on it's as wide as the open space that she can feel. Maybe yes. the doors were, were the limit. Mm. But now that it's pure open world, maybe she sees all and is all. Oh, maybe it becomes telepathy. Yeah. She becomes a dark phoenix type character. Just, yeah, she becomes Melts the next Melts all the apocalypse. ice, right? <laughs> becomes like a fire, fire phoenix. Yeah, perhaps. But that's not really... I feel like... When you were talking to me before this movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's some other questions you have about this film. I mean, I've got Do you to... want to try to destroy it as much as possible? What, I, you know, I've, I've, holes, I've, picked, I've picked some holes here and there. I'd like to talk about the structure of the train, Michael, if we could. Yeah. Um, so I've discussed a lot. I did map the train. Uh, okay. As I was going through the film with every room they went into. Now, by my count, uh, around 20, 22, 24, there were two mm-hmm. rooms that I was a little unsure there. And I'm not going to whip through all of them, Michael, just to save yep. us on having a bloody hear the structure of this train. But mm. look, 24 carts, uh, assuming that that's the, that's, that's the full number, is not a lot. And some of these carts have weird feed through. Like, um, yeah. there's obviously the back section, which is a couple of carts. But then we kind of... We go into the the protein uh, processing cart, which is yeah, specifically yeah. for making the food, and then straight after that cart. And when you're looking to twenty four carts, uh, and this is the last place on earth that's populatable. Yeah. Um, the next cart just seems to be a balaclava hand axe man cart because that cart is empty except for all of those balaclava hand axes. So what are they? Mm. That space is just wasted otherwise. Well, I actually do have um, a resource that I looked up that could help. Decipher this, Nelson. Okay. So, Bong Joon-ho, obviously uh-huh. a great director. Yes. Um, he did do a diagram mapping out the entire train. Yeah. You missed a couple of carriages. There's actually 60 in total. 60 carriages in total. We don't yep. see 60, Michael. We don't no. see 60 in this film. And to your point, it still doesn't make a lot of sense because I've just looked at that diagram. Yeah. Those two, that cart that you were mentioning, uh, is listed as abandoned on this diagram. So right, they've okay. only got sixty carts for the <laughs> carriages for the entire train, yeah, yeah, and they're not using two at all. Yeah, sure. To them. Yeah, we've got the we've got the space to waste, obviously, <laughs> because um, we're so well placed and well stretched out. We've got the abattoir right next to the fucking preschool, Michael. One door of separation between bloody corpses of animals and yes. kids learning about Wilford. I did love like the design of so many of the cards. I think this is probably the difference between creating a, a, a good narrative structure and, yeah. and creating a very good visual property, right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. those cards were so interesting. Like yeah, there yeah. was some the 
the abattoir cart, which is weird. We've got the very pretty, very pastel classroom. We've yeah, got yeah, the yeah. aquarium cart, which is just gorgeous to look at. Yes. What do you reckon? I'm intrigued. What was your favourite cart, Nelson? What was my favourite cart? Yeah. Um. Oh, jeez, mate. Look, I, I, I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't particularly uh, concentrating that much on which one <laughs> I liked more than the other. Look, I liked this the concept of this cart, um, which was the Chronal Den cart uh, that they go through. It's close to yes. the end of the cart, and it's just it's an opium den for Chronal. It's Nam- literally listed on this diagram as the opium cart. Yeah, right. Okay. Nam and Yuna have a fucking field day because everyone's yeah. zonked out of their fucking brain, so they're just going collecting Chronal like nobody's just business. Robbing everyone. Just That's actually how zombieing out. Yuna got her fur coat was from stealing it from That's one of those right. yes. out yes. so I think conceptually I like that Cronal has become the new the new drug and it's an acceptable yeah. use drug as well I suppose particularly when you're in such a limited space it would make sense that people would turn to some sort of narcotic and yeah. therefore have a, an opium den for said narcotic um, I like that yeah yeah yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think that, that's Feed great. Feed it back to me. What's yours? I think it's just hard to say that you can't love that aquarium cart. That's phenomenal. Yeah. The whole way through. So gorgeous. Yeah. As if that fucking works. Yeah, it's uh, all about balance as yeah, well. Yeah, like they describe how like it's a it's a holistic ecosystem, which Correct. makes a lot of sense in the series because yeah. it has a thousand plus train carriages. Yes, 1001, I believe, in the TV series. Boom. At least at the start. Wink. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Except for the fact that in this tiny little ecosystem, there's no fucking way. It no. doesn't work. No. They're dead in a week. <laughs> oh, yes. They do not have the supply and demand to meet the fish's needs unless... Oh, it's self-contained. I guess they eat each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the, the train yeah. almost derails like every 10 minutes in this film as well. Right, I agree. The fish are probably dead from shock. That thing is nowhere near as secure. Yeah. This is something the series does better as well. That train is rock solid. It just plows through everything. Yeah. For the second this one hits one bump, which it must hit every 10 minutes, yeah. it almost derails. Almost. It's like it, it gets almost 30 degrees off the track and then plops back down. There's no way that yeah, thing's lasting 17 yeah. minutes. No, it certainly isn't. But look, they're used to it. They brace every single time. Um, I didn't see a bedroom cart here, Michael. Um, I was watching some of these carts do very specifically feed, and you say 60, but for sure 24 feed directly into each other, um, yeah. as we see happen quite a few times. Um I think they're the ones that you probably... They're probably the ones that you don't mention because obviously why would we look at all the bedroom carts? Yeah. I remember them going past some of the fancier carts and it was very yeah. clear they had those old school train carriages that had the bunk plus the couches. Yeah, but that was like a multi-purpose one because that's what I thought as well. But then there was like... When he looks in, there's, there's, there's dentistry in one. One's yeah. a tailor. So it's actually part of the shopping district. It's not actually fitted to be a bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think... I think yeah, I think this is classic Bong Joon-ho where it's just better to tell the story with this yep. level of symbolism yep. where yep. fuck all those cards. I don't need to work out how this system works. I'm just going to say it does and yep. I'm done. Yep. You like the movie. Did you like the movie, Nelson? Uh, look, yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I, I came into this one. I wanted to pick apart to, to be a jerk, but there is no denying that this is a really good film. Yeah. Um, it's an entertaining watch. Michael, uh, I don't think you knew this, but this used to be uh, one of my favourite films. Yeah. Um, not so much anymore. Well, you my, wouldn't know, would you, audience? My tastes have changed. They've oh, become a little more sophisticated. Right? Yeah. I've gotten a little bit cold to this franchise. Not enough fairy cartoons in this mm, one for yeah, Nelson. you're right. I do like cartoons. <laughs> um, but no, this is a great film. Um, there's some great political commentary here, particularly Wilford with the way he manipulates you know the society i think there is a lot of feed through to yeah. a lot of the power structures that we have uh, in today's society be that um uh, quote unquote democratic or otherwise uh michael yeah and i think it can only do so much in this two hours Correct. and i think that's why it did go for 
this absurd symbolism in how a society like that could work and it took it to the nth degree there's no way that this is what would probably happen in that situation yeah. but certainly made for a fun ride and um i think the funny thing i found is when looking into this movie we're lucky we got this two-hour movie yeah because this was actually entirely korean produced even though wow it came through the Western audience deliberately. Yes. This is Bong Joon-ho's first movie that he put through to a Western audience. And as a result, he hired entirely Western cast to appear yes. to that audience. But Well, not entirely. There was Korean actors, obviously, oh, yeah. as well. Predominantly. That's a good point. He yeah. hired a predominantly um, Western cast for this. Yeah. Quite a diverse cast, all things considered. Yeah. But everyone behind the scenes, they were all Korean. Um, and unlike an international director we've heard of uh, in our second episode of the podcast. Oh. You know how he got to work, Nelson? He got fucking translators to tell them how to do the movie so that he didn't have to rely on his poor English oh. to speak to the cast. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> a good director what made a great good idea. Yeah. directorial decisions and then came out with a good movie <laughs> yeah phenomenal uh, and uh, just before we wrap up make sure you bloody uh, keep listening in uh, we're gonna give our final comments but then we're gonna kick right into uh, one of our favourite segments Michael Snowpiercer real bad film or real bad film question mark mm, I think real bad time for everyone in the film yeah, is we still, still, still telling that line mate yeah, but real good film Definitely a real bad film, question mark. Yeah, with a slash, a question mark slash most it off. of it. It's a real great film. It's a good movie. It's Definitely a good it. movie, yeah. Um, and excellent to see uh, Bong Joon-ho's first uh, really Western uh, film as well. Yeah, if you don't know this yet, audience, um, Parasite, which went Gangbusters and Okja yes. are two other movies he's done after this, which are all phenomenal and are definitely worth a watch. And... We won't toe the line. They won't make it to this podcast, sadly. We've got to stop uh, uh, pushing it too far. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bearing with me, Nelson. That is all right. We need a bit of dichotomy, uh, but we will be going back to our regular old bad films next week. But before we find out what we're doing next week, everybody, it's time for everybody's favourite segment. A chugga 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 Pitch that sitch. Yes. Children celebrate all over the train, Michael. <laughs> As uh, people get chuffed to bits in front of That's right, <laughs> and they shout Wilford's name while making uh, Nazi-esque hand signals. It's yeah, time very to pitch on the nose. That's it. The segment where me and Michael pitch each other sequels or really any related property oh, yeah, to baby. the films, uh, very TV loose. shows, or others that we're watching. Michael, what do you got for us this week? Pitch me that bloody sitchity doodah. Ooh, I will, Nelson. So... It's really interesting. I find that this year I've just done nothing but absolute stock standard sequels. And this week, yeah. I want to let you know, audience, mm. no exceptions. I'm back to a straight sequel. It picks mm. up immediately Ooh. after our intrepid duo that we now have. Wow. Uh, outside of the train. Yes. In the cold. Una and Timmy freezing their little bats off. So, there's been so much sacrifice to get them to this point. Yeah. So many limbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many limbs Pointless Curtis losing that yeah. limb By the way Because uh, he died But anyway Yeah So many limbs So many brain cells He feels good about it Yep But now We have these two Nelson Future of humanity I love a lot of people They do mention the polar bear Yes um, If you look at the shot And the way it, it was set up That bear was at least A kilometre away So yeah. it's probably not going to get them And it seemed pretty chill at the time So I'm not going to give you A straight to <laughs> I'm not going to give you A sequel That is Two children straight into a bear's mouth Yeah But it is going to explore How they survive um, yeah. And how They respect the sacrifice That was given To get these wow. two Innocent little children 
Um, unfortunately, guys, as Nelson has referenced previously, they are two trained babies yeah. who have done nothing but subsist on yeah. the train itself. No real life skills. Yeah. Also, Jimmy is a half cyborg, Timmy. emotionless monster at this point. Sorry, Timmy. Yes. I can't believe I messed that up. Yeah. Uh, and Yuna is currently probably going through some horrible withdrawal heavy, symptoms. Heavy emotional turmoil. Um, and yeah, Yuna definitely uh, some coronal withdrawal. Uh, 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 withdrawal, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I forgot the word. I said fatigue. She's yeah, probably right. got both. Yeah, you know? right. No, I'd definitely be fatigued after a, pr- yeah. a train crash like that. So it's basically a weak movie. Yep. Um, it's definitely straight to video. Okay. Um, they've brought back videos just to represent how bad this movie would end up being. Excellent. Yep. This is 2015. Uh, well, I mean, it's 2022 that it's releasing this film. Okay, it's a modern. But they brought back video because they know how bad it's going to be. Excellent. Yeah. Trying yeah. to offshoot from the series as much straight as possible. Straight to VHS. At this point, it's been. Um, Eight years since the last film, so we're carrying on directly. But Timmy is being represented by a, a completely different cast. Year old yeah, and they're going like the same 30, cast. Yeah. It's a student film mostly because, yeah. to be honest, all it is is them slugging through snow. Uh-huh. It's very clearly not the high budget that it was before, Nelson. Yes, it's very clear. Like you can see that. Every now and then, they'll accidentally go past uh, a road that has cars driving down it because they couldn't really get the kind of shots that they needed. But at the end of the day, it's just a slog. They cry a lot. They look for food. Mm. And then they just die. It's a pretty sad movie. Oh, but to be honest, dear. what else could have happened here, Nelson? Yeah, right. The struggle is in vain. I yep. love the movie. Great messaging. Great hope. But again, I think it just shows... Bong Joon-ho, it's about symbolism. It's about the concepts, about exploring it. Mm-hmm. No fucking way there's a practical success story for these two kids at the end of this movie. No, absolutely not, Michael. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, as much as a monster as Wilford was, mm. he did sustain life. Uh, and uh, Yes, and I'd love to Curtis hear the argument. Curtis way to stop that. Maybe this is our next poll. Uh, was Wilford a bad guy? Yeah. Maybe not. Well, check it up on Instagram. Arguable. Was Wilford a bad guy? Was he in the right? Michael, what are you titling this one? I'm calling it Snowpiercer. Succumb to snow. Ooh, snow succumbance. Mm. Circumference of the snow. Uh, succumb to snow. Keep an eye out. <laughs> or maybe for it's stationary snow object. Stationary <laughs> snow <laughs> it's object, not piercing yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not doing nothing. Uh, it's getting snowed on. Mm. Uh, excellent. Well, um, uh, good one, uh, Michael. And yeah, realistically, I think going to a sad ending this one started, ended on a sad point as well right that's the that's that's really the truth that's the real social commentary yeah, there is no the real winning, world everyone there is only losing as we march hand in hand towards our inevitable graves but michael mm. i like how you carried straight off the back of the film i was curious how that was all gonna go but michael uh I think there's more juice to be had here at the front end of the bloody... Uh, on the tail end of the train, uh, which is the front end for my purposes. <laughs> uh, I want to look at uh, the time before the Snowpiercer. So ah. I want to look at the lead up to Michael. Yeah. Now, as we know, CW7 gets released into the atmosphere, freezing yes, the sir. entire planet. But for my pitch, that sitch... This is a slower process. Obviously, we know that oh. the Snowpiercer um, kicked off its uh, never-ending journey, I think, 2013, 2014? Yep, yep. 2013? Uh, 
Uh, I think it's 2014 in the end. 2014, yeah. So the, the snow's taken a while to really set. What we see is the actual process of this happening. You see the Earth's getting cooler. Global warming's been a real issue. And all of a sudden, after these events, the Earth has started to freeze over. We're not following the events oh, no. of Snowpiercer, though. We're following the events of a small group of people, a father and a son, oh, no. separated on two opposite ends of the planet. The okay. Earth is freezing fast, and it's their journey to find each other in this chaos in this freezing planet okay. so that they can push on and survive as we find out the earth does cool on later on so there may be some habitable places for people Ooh. to live yes that's right it's the journey in this freezing planet uh, when they begin and they launch the CW7 in the year 2012 that's right the prequel to Snowpiercer starring Dennis Quaid <laughs> 2012 the movie released in 2008 <laughs> <laughs> was there a lot of snow in that movie? Yes, the whole world freezes over and oh, Dennis Quaid nice. tries to find his son. That's the whole thing. Yeah, perfect. I right. literally just Google searched disaster films where the earth freezes and 2012 was the first one. Boom. So close. It has to have been a prequel in the yeah. first place. I love it. Yeah. That's great. It real human in. story. Yeah. yeah. The commentary is Dennis Quaid was a real bad father for most of his life. Wasn't that what that movie yeah, was about? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but he makes up for it by saving his son. Uh, 2012, that that's a real bad film. You want to talk real bad films? That's a real bad film. Maybe that's where we should have gone this week. That film scared people. Ridiculous. 2008 was a silly time. Large Hadron Collider. People thought it was going to blow a black hole in the middle of our planet and destroy us all. But Nelson, the Mayan calendar end of 2012, doesn't that mean that they planned it all along? Mm. I know that they had a specific stone slab that ran out of room, but I think they knew something. The Mayans also had different eras of um, the Earth uh, and there was calendars before before that and then like the giants died off in, in one iteration the centaurs like very interesting yeah, yeah all right swept is that up next week's all. episode Nelson? yeah no it's not next week michael oh we've got the release on february 3rd of jackass bloody forever oh coming on back dirty old boys yeah you're damn right but we're not uh we're not going to be looking at jackass forever sorry to get your hopes up team not really sure how to review uh uh, a film like a series that one, of or violence, good. Uh, a series of jackasses getting hurt. I yeah, guess, right? In their fifties, I think uh, I was reading somewhere that Johnny Knoxville got permanent brain damage um, from the bull stunt they did in that one. Yes. Uh, but to tie us in next week, we are going to be looking at something from one of the title cast members of Jackass, Mister Johnny Knoxville. He did have a. Uh, he had a run. Uh, he certainly had a run in uh, film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying a good one. Uh, like I said, uh, going back to real bad films question mark we're mm, going to be looking safe space. at the 2016 film starring buddy buddy comedy starring Johnny Knoxville alongside Jackie Chan what yes yeah, so we're going to be looking at 2016's skip trace an international movie uh, that Johnny Knoxville stars in Oh my god, I thought Johnny Knoxville's Hollywood career was well dead by then, but it, Jackie it, Chan, that must have been a good movie. Mm, Jackie Chan's career was well and truly dead uh, by then as well. Came in oh. to do one good movie, which was The Tourist, but I think that may have been after Skip Trace, if I'm not mistaken. Michael, so okay. tune in next week. Uh, we're going to be <laughs> finding out about Johnny Knoxville's uh, acting abilities in the, uh, the the worst part of his bad movie career right before he gave up by the sounds of things that's right and then just went back to old tricks do what you know and love and remember if you ever crash in a plane or a train for that matter babies taste the best we'll see you next week (laughs)
too good. I know that babies taste best. Ah, oh, Nelson, hang on. Um, yeah. I was just lo- looking um, on, on my phone in the break. Looking good, yeah. Seems like you you don't you you don't exist. I don't know how you got this through me when you suggest this podcast. But if we're going to get into a business relationship together, I, I can't imagine that I can do it with an illegal immigrant. I think I think we're going to have to we're going to have to discuss this outside. Are you serious right now? Uh, yeah. I literally fucking you put me on this VPN. What I, do you I mean? told you my concerns, and you still fucking did it. No, Nelson, look, this is pretty unprofessional. You should have warned me about something this serious. All right, everybody. We'll figure it out, and we'll see you again next week.